0: Welcome to Mandarin Baptist Church, where we are the generations declaring the redemptive story of God on everyday mission. This Christmas season, we will be camping out in Isaiah chapter 9. The prophet Isaiah is in the middle of telling Israel about invasions, being overtaken, and some really hard times heading their way. And in the midst of this prophecy, he proclaims a baby's birth. And this baby is going to change everything. Behold.
1: So good morning. So that was beautiful. I mean, I don't, I don't know how you land on um, anticipation. I feel like there's like a sense of urgency in the room, you know, when you're having that preschool moment because you have no idea what's going to happen. And I mean, literally, I looked at my wife. I said, "This is going to be precious." And it might be completely insane. We didn't get part B, but we really had A, right? Like that was just amazing. And wow, thank you. I thought so as well. And so uh, I just was, I was just so thankful just to watch the kids. And I was literally sitting on edge, almost having this feeling like uh, when Isaiah says in the ninth chapter, um, hey, look, for 800 years, I want you to hold on to this hope. I want you to hold, hold fast to this truth. It will hold you for 36 generations. This wonderful counselor, this mighty God, this prince of peace, this everlasting father. Um, I don't know where you uh, have landed or if the Holy Spirit brings scripture to mind each and each uh, throughout the week. I, I just said in one of the scriptures the, to the Lord, a thousand years is a day and a day is a thousand years, and he's just kind of looking at them and going, "I'm I'm sending this wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace today, for me, for you. It's about 800 years, but just hold on, buckle in. And this really, this season, this season of Christmas is about endurance and faith, hope and joy, promise and passion, zeal. This this abounding truth that the God who has put on flesh for us. For the people in Isaiah, for the Israelites, the God who will put on flesh in 800 years, I want you today to rest in him. I want you today for them to look forward to this this one who will put on flesh and dwell among us. For us, I want you to look backward 2,000 years and I want you to rest there. I want you to cling there. I want your hearts to be full there. And I want you, almost like the preschoolers on the stage, to live the next 800 years on the edge, wondering what might happen, God. This could be crazy, this could be beautiful. It probably will be both. And we're going to rest in you. And so I would like to read some scripture and share two thoughts with you this morning. Um, I recognize fully what, that the kids are in the room. And so I don't know what that typically means to pastors. You interpret that as you see fit. So can we pray first? Um, Jesus, you are beautiful. Um, I pray that you would allow your scripture and your presence to be made more full to us, uh, because that's what you do. And so again, Lord, I echo what I've prayed already. Open the eyes of our heart, and God, do this for more than the intellect shared from the stage, more than what we brought to the table. Father, we're asking for revelation that comes from you and your spirit. And so God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, And that we would respond in like manner to the great goodness of who you are. And so we love you, Jesus, in your name that we pray and hold fast. Amen. Amen. Hey, Micah said something in the seventh chapter of the book of Micah. The seventh verse, just really talking about this season. If, If you would like to turn in scripture, you could turn to Isaiah, the ninth chapter. And that's what I would like to read in a moment. But Micah said as a prophet as well, as for me, I'm going to wait expectantly for the Lord. And I would just invite you to that posture in this Christmas season. As for us in this room, can we just agree to wait expectantly for the Lord? That there's this, there's this possibility, no matter how long we have known him, there's this possibility that we have in him. And today is a new day for us to wake up and say, Lord, as for me in this day, I have expectancy from you, and I have hope in you, and I have promise and passion for you. I mean, Christmas is a story of this longing, if we will bring that to the table that's fulfilled. I mean, Christmas is our forever reminder to celebrate the nearness and the goodness of our God in our seasons of waiting. And so, when we read, when we, good gracious, when we read Isaiah, the ninth chapter, And he is saying to a group of people, I want you to wait for the Lord. And it's an 800-year wait. In our seasons of waiting, God is a gracious and good God. And he meets us as we struggle in our silence, as we struggle, as we seek for God to work in our convoluted lives. Christmas urges us on and literally interprets this way. Look up, child. The word behold is truly this. See this. Look at this. Look at my holiness and my presence. Look up, child. Recognize who I am and live with expectancy. Waiting is not wasting. When our waiting is a a wait for the Lord and his plans to unfold. Behold, child. Unto us the child is born and unto us a son is given. I mean, our hearts are anchored in this over and over in the foundation of God's faithfulness. That's, That's what we pray for you this Christmas season. God is at work while we wait. I should probably say that about 50 times for my own good. Most of you in the room are more mature than I am. And so I have to remember this God, you are working. And I think the Israelites rested in this again for 36 generations, 800 years. God's, while we wait, you're working. While we wake, the heavens are rejoicing, and God is at work, and waiting is not wasting when we are waiting for His plan to unfold, because His is a good plan, His is a glorious plan. And so we will wait for him. And Isaiah, the ninth chapter, I just would like in summary for those of you that may not have been here the last couple of weeks. So Isaiah is in this moment in the eighth chapter where he's just kind of saying to the people of Israel, and you may resonate with this, um, the Assyrians, uh, they're, they're going to encumber you. They're going to overwhelm you. They're going to place you in a position of exile. They are going to um, overrun you. And so while he's kind of speaking this to them, he also pauses and says um, this, this lapse of reality of prophecy to Israel and more of a movement into the reality. But there's a hope that's coming. Like, I just want to tell you, this is impending. Your sin has brought it on. You have a desperate need for a savior. And so he launches into the ninth chapter. And if you're reading the ninth chapter, you would never guess that it was 800 years prior to the, to the coming of the king of glory, Jesus to earth, the incarnation of the living God. So when you read the ninth chapter of Isaiah or you listen to um, the Hallelujah Chorus, You just just want to shout out wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace. You are the everlasting father. The government shall be upon your shoulders. That's that's as close as I'll come. I'm ready to burst forth right now. When When you're thinking that and singing that and resting in that, just know that was 800 years of resting in the wait on the Lord. And it's a good waiting because not only is he at work, but he's shaping us. And he's preparing us for what he has for us. It says these words, I've already quoted them, but in Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, a child will be born to us. Behold, a son will be given to us and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be named. Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the eternal father, the everlasting father. He's the prince of peace. His dominion, it's vast. This is the dominion of the king of glory. The wonderful counselor is one who advocates for you. We covered this a bit last week. I want to return to it for a moment. Wonder is the foundation of worship. We should be inciting wonder for one another. You should be elbowing one another and going, the kids were singing this. The choir was leading us. The, the cattle were doing whatever they do in a sense of Wonder. It was a rejoicing moment before the King of glory. Wonder is the foundation of our worship. The word wonderful in this passage isn't like, you guys look wonderful today. This wonder is incomprehensible. It's an Ephesians 3 moment. It's inexpressible. It's almighty. It's beyond our imagination. And God is a wonderful advocate, a counselor for us. Bringing his wisdom. When when John calls Jesus our advocate in Romans 8, he means that our Savior stands before the Father and he is pleading our case. He is our counselor. And the Lord Christ is pleading for us right now in this room. Oh, that they would be incited with wonder. Glory to God. In the highest. His grounding of his wonder is the work he has done To establish God's verdict on our behalf, you have a wonderful counselor, a beautiful advocate. If I could just, this is on the screen. For those of us who are in Christ, he's no longer the judge who condemns us. He is the father who accepts us into his family, who adopts us as children of his own. He is a wonderful counselor. Names in scripture are powerful and they are beautiful. And I don't know that we can fully comprehend them. I call it kind of a picture and reminder throughout this week. And I just started jotting notes to myself and I've had more experiences of this today. Names, when we begin to speak about names, names are defining attributes of who we are and who God is. For instance, when Isaiah is speaking these names, he's speaking them from the roots of depth of who God is. I want you to know the attributes of this God. But it wasn't limited to God himself. It's also about who we are and our names and what God is doing to be able to define us. Names and naming have such significance and I'm not fully I don't fully believe that we can understand scripturally or biblically how important names were. But I, I captured a picture of this when it says that we're adopted into the family of God, that, that names have power. I, I just was walking in and thinking of, um, of this past week as I was driving through my neighborhood. I don't know if you've ever been in a naming moment or you have ever stood in an adoption ceremony, but names are powerful in that moment. It's, it's a maybe as close to a biblical moment as you can and can experience because you're literally standing in a room with a judge. That judge is speaking out and that judge is once and forever. I have chill bumps so because I've gotten to do this multiple times. That once, is, once and forever is changing a name and speaking a name in and it truly is a redemptive moment. It's a moment where God says, this has been your trajectory and there is a variety of trajectories that lead to this moment. Some of them very difficult. Some of them not so much all of them in that moment, extraordinarily sacred. I was driving through my neighborhood and I got to stand in a courtroom with one of my neighbors. And she's walking along, pushing the pushing The, the two kids heard nothing in writing in that thing. She looks, well, I can't say it. Wow, it's about to really step in. She, she looks like she's been working hard. <laughs> Taking care of those kids. They're coming from the park. It looks joyful. The kids are literally dancing around her. The names have completely been changed. The trajectory completely reshaped. The hope completely laid in the midst of this moment. Names have power and I'm just riding down my street stopping and pausing and thinking you're a wonderful counselor Lord. You're a mighty God and you're changing names. I just just ran through multiple times. Kids Um, that I ran into this week from Africa whose names have been changed, from China whose names have been changed. One of my friends who adopted from Africa was writing about her story. Susan and I got to pray with them all the way up to the adoption and it was amazing the name change and they're just talking about God's faithfulness during this Christmas season through all of it and then she ends her writing on social network today just with this plea. Like there's this kid in Texas right now that needs a home. So who are my friends in Texas that are ready? Names, are powerful. Names are beautiful. Names biblically reflect the shift of God and the trajectory of everything. And so when we read and say you've been adopted in you are you and I are marked by the king of glory the wonderful advocate the wonderful counselor who speaks life into us. Even now in this moment, Jesus is pleading on our behalf. He's interceding for us. That we might know his name. Listen, I think it's on the screen. He's interceding for us that we would know his name. But it's personal. So that we might know our names. We might know whose we are. We might know who we are and what that means for us. When our advocate names something, and if you're a note taker or a lot of our people in this room pull up phones and they snap pictures of this, I would snap a picture of this screen if I were you, because you need to remember this screen. When our advocate names something, he defines it. And I, I don't know about you, but in this world, I am so often sought to be defined by a situation, a circumstance, a decision, something in my past, something in my present, or some thought of my future. Something that someone said of me, some that I was or was not chosen, some path that I have or have not made, I tend to allow those to temporarily define me. And the only defining person for me is the one who created and formed me and who calls me by name and who has named me as his. I just invite you into a wonderful counselor moment that is very personal for you. Not the um, Hallelujah Chorus where you're singing it, but this person named Jesus Names and defines you. When our advocate names something, he defines it. God has clarified and declared you and I by name. In doing so, I just want to read some things to you so that um, my words are less and his words are more. In being named by him and defined by him, you are called chosen. For the one in the back of the line... In elementary school, standing there twiddling your thumbs as the kickball team was formed. Wondering, am I going to make the cut? You made the first cut with Jesus. For those of you that feel lost or abandoned, struggling, and out, Jesus has chosen you. And you are his. Merry Christmas. You are called beloved, First John says. You are loved by the I am. You are called a child of God. You and I, we're called redeemed. That word is prolific. And I have no doubt in this room that a lot of us bring a lot of mess into this room. And the scriptural beauty of redemption isn't just that God allows us to be better going forward. It means that he has purchased and bought back our past and has purposed our future through it. That's a good and gracious father. Merry Christmas. Unto us a child is born. Because he's redeemed us, you are forgiven, Ephesians 1 says. Rest in that. You're a new creation, 2 Corinthians 5 says. You have been named. You are called sanctified. And if I go off on this word, we'll be here for two hours. You are being sanctified and grown in the image and the likeness of Jesus in this moment and day in and day out if you will cling to and abide and rest in him. You are alive. You are a friend of God. You are called free in Jesus. To those who have been set free, you are free indeed. Whoa! Praise you, Lord. You are accepted in Christ. You are called righteous through Jesus. You are called blessed Ephesians 1 says, You are called near to God to those who were once far. For those of us who are in Jesus are now near to the Lord. Glory to God in the highest. Praise you, Jesus. You are called a citizen of heaven. So as you and I make our way through here and make our way wandering and meandering through this earth, we don't do that longer. We are citizens of heaven. And therefore, earth in all its convolution begins to make sense because we are gearing toward eternity as a citizen of the King of glory. So, we're not running around sweating, which I'll get to in just a moment. Our mighty God and what his government, not what we are, what his government looks like. We're not sitting around in angst over our governmental rule because we are citizens of heaven. And I promise if we would get that, there would be a lot more peace on earth. If just Jesus followers would get that, it would be beautiful. I'll tackle that in a minute and then pray. Your call complete. For those of you in this room that feel extraordinarily incomplete, I of which am the first, you and I are finished and completed in Jesus. He is our more than enough. These are just some of your names. And these are just some of who you are in Christ, your hope of glory. You are defined by who you carry within you. And you carry within you a wonderful counselor. You carry this in jars of clay, the immeasurable riches of God in Christ. And you serve and walk with a mighty God. I, I just want to plant seeds about the mighty God and then pray our way back into this day. When I, when I hear and sing that the government will be on his shoulders. And I experience what we're experiencing in our current context. And I begin to think that what we're experiencing is new. I just simply read back into the New New Testament of the early church and recognize that the church received this reality that we are a people who serve a mighty God. And when I hear mighty God, here's what I immediately want. I long to look at the Lord and say, would you make things better? Would you make things more clear? Would you allow your peace to reign? Would you allow me to ultimately not experience any difficulty as I walk this earth? Would you give me heaven now? That's really what I'm seeking. And ultimately, in giving me heaven now, could you give me power on this earth? When we began to call God mighty God, his is an upside down kingdom. So can I just read some scripture to you again? Because my wisdom is extraordinarily limited, but the scripture is his mouth, his words, his, his government. It's a beautiful government. It looks nothing like ours. The might of his government is in serving. The might is in the first being last. The might is in putting flesh as a baby. That is his government. This government, it's an eternal government. His government, his government will lay down its life for others. His government will love enemies. The might of his government will be praying for those who persecute you. That's his government. His government, it lays down its life. His government, it serves the poor. His government is compassionate to the weak. His government, our mighty God, the first words of Jesus, we're quoting the words of Isaiah. His government is to set the prisoner free, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind. That's his government. And his government, according to Isaiah 9, is to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And one of the most beautiful things that we could do as we think about a mighty God in our current context is maybe meeting with one another on the other sides of our our government and just doing this. How about we just wash each other's feet? How about we just rest in the power and the government of Jesus? How about we live as citizens of heaven? How about we walk through this earth resting in the holiness of God? And the only thing that we want to perpetuate is the government of the King of Glory. You got super quiet in here right now, but I, yeah, I won't do won't funny. And so um, I had the beauty of seeing government. Um, hello to Kim and goodbye to Kim. We're going to hit pause for just a minute, Ron Gard. So his government is a beautiful government. I have like 20 other thoughts and I'll just share this one. The might of this beautiful government that he has it's just in serving, in washing feet, in sharing communion, in, in a covert kingdom that will not stand as the warring kingdom on this earth, but is the victor in eternity. It will be an upside down kingdom, served by a mighty God and a people who wrestle with this and who keep picturing over and over, Lord. Oh, my goodness. As you introduced your church and you brought multiple languages to sing of your glory, you're doing that again. And it's beautiful, Father. Could we be a part of that? The greatest thing that I would lay at your feet and allow you to pick up is Father, can we set down small strengths and perhaps small investments and can we pick up the counselor who has defined us and can we carry him the rest of our days through this land? Jesus, please allow us to lay down the small gods and small sources of power that we so seek on this earth and allow us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of the rest will be added to you. Allelu. Alleluia. I close with this scripture. In the middle of your weight, in the middle of your sorrow, in the middle of your joy, in the middle of shaping you Israel, As a people after my heart. In the middle of your Assyrian takeover. I'm faithful. In the middle of the 800 years, I'm here. In the middle of your sorrow. In the middle of what's unclear. In the middle of shadows. In the middle. I'm walking with you. My rod and staff, they comfort you. For the church today, a child was born to us. He was born unto us. A son was given. The governing is on his shoulders. and He's good. You'll name him a wonderful counselor as you cling to him. You will know him as the mighty one as he fights battles for you. You will rest in peace that surpasses understanding through his grace and his goodness. You will you will walk in an eternal dominion that is vast.
0: Thanks again for joining us this Christmas season. We all tend to fill our schedules with family gatherings, parties, final exams, traveling, and all kinds of festivities during the season. So we thank you for taking time to spend with us at Mandarin Baptist. We hope you will also plug in with us Sunday mornings at 1030 as we grow together, worship together, and be the church together. You don't want to miss this.